Today is the third Sunday of Advent, and we're in the book of Isaiah, which reveals for us in part what the ancient Israelites thought the coming of the Messiah would mean for the world. And the theme of the sermon today is hope. Hope is to the heart what air is to the lungs. We live by it. We live by hope. To lose all hope is to lose a life worth living. Hope is why we get up in the morning. It's what convinces us that each day is worth the trouble of living it. The reason we do anything is out of hope for some future good. It's out of expectation for some future good. However, it seems as though hope is in short supply these days. Our cultural situation is distressing. Our political situation is appalling. Our nation is deeply divided. The economy is trending down. The quality of education is trending down. Church attendance is trending down. And, and many of us are asked, we're wondering what life is going to be like for our children. Every couple of weeks, there's another act of gun violence. There are wars and rumors of wars. Russia is bombing Ukrainian civilians. Iran is weeks away from having weapons-grade uranium. And so, so in light of all of these troubling things, what does the Bible have to offer us? What hope does the Bible set before us? We'll be in Isaiah chapter 35 today. Uh, but like last week and the week before, we first need to understand what's happening in the previous chapter, chapter 34. In chapter 34, the Lord is enraged against the nations for their injustice and pride. Not only were the rulers ruling without regard for God, but the people were placing all of their hope and trust in those rulers. So in response, Isaiah depicts God driving the nations into exile and giving uh, their cities over to wild beasts. The Lord transforms what was once a fertile land into a waste land. Now, in chapter 35, the, the divine judgment of chapter 34 is still looming in the background. However, Isaiah invites the people of God to hope. God may be judging the nations. He may be transforming fertile land into wasteland, but for the redeemed and ransomed people of God, this is all just setting the stage for a glorious return. God will once again transform the wilderness into a garden. Verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. These verses depict the reversal of a curse, the curse. In Genesis 3, God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. But here in Isaiah 35, the ground rejoices with joy and singing. The curse is reversed. And two chapters ago, back in Isaiah 33, 
Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon had their glory and majesty taken away from them. And now in Isaiah 35, the glory and majesty of Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon are given to the blossoming desert, to what was once a desert. So this glory is a gift. This majesty is a gift. The glory, this glory and this majesty are given by a glorious and majestic God. And this is an implicit rebuke to the rebellious nations. Glory taken and then glory given. It's, it's an implicit rebuke to the nations. You see, the nations were seeking to establish their own glory apart from God rather than receiving from God the glory He desired to give to them. To those who give glory to God, God will give glory. That, that's just basic Trinitarian theology. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist within a mutually glorifying relationship. They are constantly gifting glory to one another. And so when, when God asks to be glorified, He's not being a, a glory sponge. He's not trying to suck up all the glory and keep it to Himself. No. He's inviting humanity into His Trinitarian life. He's inviting us to join in on this mutually glorifying relationship. Father, Son, Spirit, and us. It, it, it almost sounds blasphemous when you say it that way, right? But if we believe it, how could we not be encouraged by it? God has deemed you, each of you individually, worthy of being welcomed into His very life welcomed into the glory that existed before the foundation of the world. So whether you are given to pride or you are given to despair and self-loathing, either way, God loves you more than you do. God loves you more than you do, and He is even more committed to seeing you glorified than you are. That is a God worthy of your trust. That is a God worthy of the trust of all nations. So, verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall, shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute Sing for joy. As I said earlier, it, it sometimes feels like we're living in a world gone mad. We see nations at odds with one another. We see corruption and misinformation. We see the poor trampled and neglected. And, and what can we possibly do about it? What hope is there to be had? Because Ultimately, I think we all know we are helpless to save ourselves. Our hands are weak, our knees are feeble, our hearts are anxious. But to us, Isaiah says, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. That's the basic promise of Advent, by the way. That's what the Advent season is meant to cultivate in us. Strength, fearlessness, 
patience, hope. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will come with vengeance against the wicked. He will come to strengthen the weak. He will come to make firm the feeble. He will come to save the anxious. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap, and the mute will sing for joy when our God comes. This is what the people of God were hoping for in Isaiah's day, and wouldn't you believe it, it's exactly what they got in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, and so we, Christians, of all people, should know that God can do these things. He's done it before. We've seen it before. If God is God at all, we have every reason to hope. In a world gone mad, he can achieve what we have no power to achieve. The kingdom of God has come, and the kingdom of God will come, and our job in the meantime is to keep the faith. Our job in the meantime is to go on hoping, to keep on believing the promise of God that the wilderness we're living in will be a garden again. Verse 6. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. So water in the wilderness, streams and pools and springs in the desert. In the opening chapters of the New Testament, opening chapters of the New Testament, we are told that, that Jerusalem and Judea and all the surrounding region were going out to the wilderness to be baptized by John. And I think they probably had Isaiah 35 in mind. I think as they were walking out into the wilderness, into the desert, I think they were talking about these verses. Water in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the Messiah is coming. He's going to lead us back to the garden. Verse 8, a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So Isaiah sees a a highway running through the land, and, and upon that highway, the redeemed and ransomed of the Lord return home. Now, this is, I think, primarily a picture of the end of all things. But even so, the people of God in Isaiah's day were invited to anticipate a future partial fulfillment, in in the near future, a partial fulfillment when the Messiah came. And, And so for us, we are privileged to look back upon what Isaiah was looking forward to. In a very real sense, we are living a partial fulfillment of Isaiah 35. We get to walk on this highway 
every day of our lives. This highway can be conceived of as a metaphor for the Christian life. It's, it's the path we are all walking as we seek to follow Jesus. And notice what Isaiah tells us about this path. Notice what he tells us about this journey we're on together. It's the way of holiness. We have been cleansed, and, we, and, and if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we will never go astray. It's the way of safety. We are led and shepherded and defended by Jesus, and so we have safe passage on this journey home. It's the way to Zion, the holy city of God, the, the final destination of every Christian where God himself dwells. And finally, it's the way to joy. In verse 10, we're told that the redeemed of the Lord shall obtain gladness and joy. That word could also be translated as overtake. The redeemed of the Lord shall overtake gladness and joy. In Christ, we finally catch up to the joy we've been chasing all our lives. There is a hope set before us, and and on this highway, on the highway of the Christian life, we run down that joy. On the highway to Zion, sorrow and sighing and grief and pain give way to an everlasting and indistinguishable, sorry, inextinguishable joy. An everlasting and inextinguishable joy. By God's grace, we are given tiny glimpses of this throughout our lives. True friendship, laughter, the birth of a child, a wedding feast, when you're driving in the car and your favorite song comes on, Christmas morning. These are all glimpses of the glory and majesty of God, the glory and majesty that He wants to give to us. Glimpses of our final destination. And if we have eyes to see them, we we can start to see them everywhere. But for now, in this age between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, we are called to be an Advent people. We are called to be patient. We are called to wait. We are called to be filled with hope in the meantime. We may be living in a world gone mad, but again, if God is God at all, we have every reason to hope. We have every reason to believe that waters will break forth in the wilderness. He will not leave us in the wasteland. He will come, we will come to Zion with singing, and He will crown us with everlasting joy. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are, you are glorious and majestic, and we long to be clothed in your glory and majesty. Jesus, lead us and shepherd us and defend us on this highway, on this path to glory. And Holy Spirit, fill us with hope. Fill us with hope. Crown us, crown us with joy and work in us and work through us to turn the wilderness of this world into a garden. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.